Matic. Becky, great ball in. Ellen White for Manchester City. Welcome back for this week's episode of MCW Fancast. I'm Emma, thanks for listening. On this week's show, we're joined by friend of the show editor Dan Pentland from the FAWSL Full Time magazine. We'll recap on the week's fixtures in both the WSL against Everton and the Champions League, where City travelled to Florence for the second leg against Florentina in a round of 16. We also discussed the latest news surrounding the women's game and the upcoming Conti Cup final that we've all forgotten about because we're no longer in the tournament. Uh, that'll take place on Sunday. It's Chelsea against Bristol City. Dan, thanks for joining us. How are you keeping? Yeah, I'm not bad. Thanks, Emma. You? Yeah, not too bad, thanks. It's been a while since we've had you on the podcast, too long in fact, and it's funny because we talked about arranging for you to come on the podcast, and then both of us were at the game on Sunday, and it was unexpected for me to bump into you, but it was great to see you, because it's not often you get to to travel down to Manchester for the game. Yeah, funnily enough, this year it's one of my local clubs, but... <laughs> if you can call it such thing, but um, yeah, no, it was fantastic. I've been to City a couple of times this year, and yeah, they're, they're obviously playing really well, and you know they've got a real chance. Like we kind of thought at the start of the season, now that things have settled, they've really come into their own under Gareth Taylor, and you know they're right up there with Chelsea. Um, you know it, it's going to go the wire, I think. Are you are you kind of surprised with? How City have found their way back into the season, found their way in terms of form. Yeah, I think it was a funny one because I think before it kicked off, you looked at like City signing players like Lavelle and Sam Mewis, and Chelsea were obviously signing their big players as well. And you kind of thought, you know, the two teams are going to be neck and neck um, all season. And obviously, it was Gareth's first season in charge, and it took a little while to gel. And obviously, you had United at the top of the table for a long time. It, it, you know, it wasn't really how you thought it was going to look. But I think kind of the quality's come through in the end and obviously things have settled at City and, you know, they've, they've gelled as a team and, you know, it's, it's just consistency week after week, just like it is with Chelsea. Um, you know, that to be fair, I know United and Arsenal put up a fight, you know, certainly up until Christmas, but I think the two sides up there now are just a world apart from from everybody else, from, in my opinion. Yeah. Do you think Arsenal are out of the title race now or do you think there's still an opportunity for them to kind of find, find their way back in? I think it's two, it's a two-horse race now. I think it's Chelsea and City for me. Um, Man United will probably get third. Arsenal are probably fighting for, for, well, to try and get third, but really I think they might finish fourth and, you know, that's probably not really quite acceptable for them, to be honest, you know, given the fact that the champions just a couple of seasons ago um obviously they've had the, the well documented injury problems there. Um but I think things just haven't quite gone right for them. Um, you know, I mean not stringing two wins together in, you know, the best part of five or six months hasn't helped. Um, you know, obviously they had a few games off in January. You know, every international break it feels like players come back injured. Obviously, you know, I think they're looking at the, the training methods as well internally. So yeah, I think it's been a season of huge disappointment for Arsenal. And, you know, if, if they get a European position, then, you know, I think they'll be delighted with that. But I'm not sure that that's going to happen, to be honest. 
It's a funny one with Arsenal because I remember uh, there was a season where they kind of had a, a similar sort of season and then sort of Joe came in and things really started to turn around for Arsenal and they didn't have Champions League that season. They went on to, to win the league because they were able to concentrate on it. Do you think that, well, next season have the similar sort of undertones in terms of becoming title contenders again? If, you, if you're in the Champions League, you're not kind of putting your eggs all in one basket, so to speak, but... You know, it's it's very difficult to balance three, four different trophies and it's hard to compete as strongly domestically when you're in the Champions League. Um, you know, and Arsenal did probably benefit from that the season that they weren't in it. Um, they probably will next year, but to be fair on them, if they're not in the Champions League next year, the, the absolute minimum requirement is they've got to get back in first season round. Um, obviously, money-wise as well, I, I presume that you know, there's a there's a huge financial benefit of being in the competition, which potentially City, Chelsea, and you're going to benefit from next season, and not Arsenal. And with the likes of like bigger broadcasters coming on board as well, potentially there's an opportunity for more money there as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think I mean Arsenal have been kind of the the woodwork of the women's game for so. Um, but yeah, I mean the the game investment wise, obviously post COVID as well, you'd hope that it's really going to gonna boom and you know we I mean it already feels like it's it's such a huge competition but you know you you you'd like to think that it's just gonna grow and grow. Yeah it, it does everything feels kind of positive even off the back of COVID like you said that things are really starting to to look as though things are progressing in the right direction and hopefully you know come the start of next season it'll just feel that it's something that the fans can obviously enjoy in the stadiums uh, but we'll also start to see the benefits of having those broadcasting opportunities and, and the, hopefully see more of the investment that's coming along and growing with the game as well. Yeah, I think the, the game's possibly bigger than the broadcast at the minute. I mean, if you speak to players like, I think, I think I've spoken with Sam Mewis this year and, and Lavelle, and they've both kind of said the attraction of coming to City is the fact that, you know, as... as rest of the world players, they can play in European competition, they can play in the Champions League, which is a huge pull. Um, and then the domestic cups as well, obviously, in the United States, they don't have, you know, like we have with the FA Cup and the Conti Cup. You know, they the, the like the concept of the fact of, you know, playing cup football, um, you know, the, the, that whole kind of European style seems to be very attractive at the minute. And, you know, it'd be great to get the fans back in and, you know, to show them what it's all about. But, yeah, it feels like we've got a huge product and, you know, players are wanting to pump the league to, to obviously test themselves in different competitions. Yeah, and it, like you said, it's it's literally more opportunities to play as well. I mean, we've seen, obviously, the introduction of the Challenge Cup, but, you know, if you think, obviously, you know, in terms of, like, the NWSL, obviously their season's only just getting up and running, you know, next month, which is unbelievable, really. So we don't know how actually lucky we are in that respect. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, to, just to get a full season this season, that it was kind of a bit touch and go at times. You thought, would we actually start the season and, you know, go the way of kind of men's non-league a little bit in terms of it being declared void again or, you know, suspended. Um, it's been good to continue it. Um, it still feels like we can improve the calendar an awful lot. There's still a lot of kind of stop start and you know, I think even this month, we've obviously got the Conti Cup this weekend. I don't think there's an awful lot of games next weekend. And then the week after, we've got a full programme. Um, yet you're playing in midweek. 
I think on the 17th, I think there's a round of midweek games, but then you're not playing on a weekend. Um, so it still feels like there's work to do on the calendar to make it a little bit um, more free flowing, to make it more attractive to fans. Um, maybe we, we need more games as well as players get fitter and, you know, more into the full-time game, you know, maybe it is time to expand. And obviously we've spoken about that before, but um, you know, maybe, how many games it is, 22 games, maybe isn't quite enough. Clubs have big squads these days as well. Um, you know, it, it, it should be a, a little bit less kind of intermittent, I suppose, as time times go in the season. And, you know, fans might hopefully not feel that as much next year when they're back in the stadiums. It's it's quite a strange one, like you said, because, you know, you're looking at the calendar, saying about looking at the calendar. I was funny enough looking at it before, and as you said, then we play Bristol, uh, next week and it's it's Wednesday so I've sent we've not got a match this weekend obviously with the Conti Cup final so it's it's weird because we've we've played sort of back-to-back games but now we're sort of getting that opportunity of rest and recovery but a midweek game especially in the WSL league I think is a bit of a rarity if you like yeah I, I don't see the the reasoning behind it to be honest obviously you know you don't I'd imagine you don't get a fantastic TV audience on a night, obviously kickoffs sometimes seven o'clock or seven forty-five. They seem to vary a little bit. Um, you know, if it's a Sunday afternoon, you'd probably think families and stuff. They probably kind of tune in a little bit more to watch it. So yeah, I don't really see the pull with a midweek fixture. And as you say, we've got. I think there's no game this weekend, and then I think next weekend I don't think there's a game, or there's not many games. You know, even if you split and kind of had half the league playing one weekend and half another, just to kind of bulk it out a little bit. Um, but yeah, it's 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 frustrating, and we've had it for for years, really. Um, but it'll just be nice if we get to the point where we've just got that flowing calendar, week on week, and you know we kind of know where we stand. Obviously, FA Cups made it difficult as well because presumably we must have been due at least one round of the FA Cup this month, and there's yeah. obviously a gap brought by that. So you know, there's been some enforced issues as well with the calendar. I think. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's 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 a, it's still definitely as we go more and more fo- more and more kind of professional and big business, it's still something we need to look at an awful lot. I think. Obviously, announced uh, last week that the FA Cup was coming back. I mean, a massive welcome return, and um, it's great to see that they've, you know, figured out a, a viable way of continuing with the competition, uh, especially to have all remaining clubs involved in and obviously being able to progress in the tournament. Yeah, um, I think it's going to be a little bit like last year. Obviously, it sounds like you're going to be playing quarterfinals, semifinals, possibly final in maybe October, November time again. The good news with that is we might have fans for the, the last three rounds, possibly, if all goes well with the, the COVID situation. Um, it's obviously great that anybody entering the competition will get the opportunity to finish, without a doubt. Um, yeah, and, you know, round four, round five, obviously... We'll have Super League Championship clubs come in. Obviously, we already know what the draw for round four is. So, you know, we can kind of look ahead to that a little bit. Um, but, yeah, it's fantastic that it's it's definitely going to happen. It would have been a shame if we had a, a gap on kind of that honours list for no winner in 2021. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, equally, I'm sure fans will be delighted that we're not rushing to fit it in between now and, you know, end of May. We're going to carry it over to next year. 
Um, so yeah, it's 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 good news, and obviously we didn't want to go down the toss of a coin or some of it. <laughs> no, we didn't. Kind <laughs> of discussions which have happened prior and rumours. Um, but yeah, I'm sure you know you've got to think that the big clubs as well, City, hopefully going to be in the in the latter stages of the the competition, and you know it'll be great to reward fans with a, a day out at Wembley potentially at the end of it. It would just be brilliant, and I'm re- I'm just really looking forward to it now. Um, like you said, it, it's fantastic to see that everything's positive and moving in the right direction. I think that's what fans really need at the moment as well, because you know we've kind of been everything's been prolonged. Everyone's been waiting for announcements and you know waiting for that news. And I think everyone's been so patient, you know, and supportive and and tried to get on board with everything and get behind the club as best they can and. You know, I think, you know, clubs, players, you know, managers have all felt it, fans have felt it, but we're sort of coming to the end now and, and let's just hope that next season, like I said, it, it, it's just, it begins with fans and, and it ends with the fans as well. Yeah, and I think obviously, you know, we, we know the women's environment in terms of, you know, attending a game, you generally feel safe. You wouldn't say there's any kind of stupidity in the crowd. Um you know, we're in a good position to resume, I think, as long as the, you know, the authorities deem that it's safe to do so, you you know, in terms of entering the stadium, being able to space out if needed. Um, you know, it's, it's there. It's not a problem for me in the women's game. I think if not for lockdown, I think we could have done it and got away with it a little bit in the second half of this season. Um you know, obviously men's men's game's probably an awful lot different. But yeah, hopefully we'll get the thumbs up and, you know, at the very worst come the start of next season. Um, you know, we'll be getting fans in in numbers and, you know, everybody who wants to see a game of Super League football will be able to do so. Yeah, definitely. Um, so let's talk about Sunday then, because it was a bit of a tough afternoon as we welcomed Everton to the Academy Stadium. Well organised, well structured, Willie Kurtzside were ultimately quite difficult for us to break down. City had little in terms of opportunities and the match was really tightly contested. Uh, but a moment of brilliance from Kara Walsh on a return to the squad following injury who managed to break the dead block from a low strike from outside the area. It was a su- superb goal and, and unexpected. You know, Kara Walsh, she doesn't score many, but when she does, they're top quality. Uh, great to see her back amongst the goals as well. Uh, what was your thoughts of City's overall performance on Sunday? Yeah, I mean, it was it was going to be a tough game. Um, obviously, Everton lined up with a five at the back. Um, so they came to sit deep to frustrate City. Um, the back three, I thought, were tremendously strong. I thought Gabby George came back in and she was outstanding. Um, Megan Finnegan was good. Um, I think if you look at the stats from the game, I think um, Ricky Savek was... You know, I think she topped the stats for Everton in terms of the tackles and blocks. You know, the the back three were real warriors. They got in City's faces. Um, City, if if anything, probably needed to speed up the play a little bit. I think they were a little slow in some of their attacking play at times. Um, but it was the marker champions that if you're going to win, you know, in, in a game like that, you win ugly, you take the three points and you move on. Um, I think from from Gareth's point of view, I think he kind of mentioned that um, City are coming up against this quite a lot where, you know, you've got those teams sitting deep, they're getting numbers at the back and they're finding it particularly hard to break down. I think he said that, you know, the last three or four opponents prior to to the Fiorentina game um, have all kind of taken the same kind of tactic. 
Um, so it's it's something is you know as title challenges they've got to kind of overcome. Um, and you know to, to be fair to them, so far so good. Um, and obviously when you needed somebody to step up, Kira Walsh was there, an unlikely goal scorer, um, great strike. Um, but yeah, if ever it was needed, if City had dropped two points there, you'd be probably thinking, well, you know, obviously there's a big Chelsea game to come, but something else is probably going to have to give a little bit. Um, but yeah, it was a fascinating game from the point of view that Everton came with a game plan and they implemented it so, so well for me. Um, and, you know, to be fair on Willie Kirk as well, he got to about the 80th minute and he put a couple of attacking substitutions on and, you know, the, the shut up shop, the they were heading towards a clean sheet. He was going to win the game. Um, you know, so City kind of weathered that storm and hit him with a sucker punch, I suppose. And, you know, as I say, it doesn't matter how you win, I suppose. It, it's just that you do win. And, you know, that's what they did. I ca- it kind of felt to me at times like... Because Everton, it just looked so congested that if the goal was going to come, you almost felt it was going to come from something special where you could get a, a bit of time on the ball and just, which is exactly what Kira did, you know, a bit of time on the ball, you know, to set yourself up and to, to get the goal kind of thing. I think there were moments in the play where I, I thought City could have switched the play a little bit more because there seemed to be an awful lot of space, you know, on the wings and, and it would have only just been sort of like that little switch in play that might have just opened it up a little bit more. Yeah, the green. I think if you look at what happened in the first half, I think Everton lost both of their fullbacks to injury. So if ever there was a moment to kind of catch them out cold on the wings, then that was probably it towards the end of that first half. Um, it was just one of them days, I think, where City it just didn't quite click. It, some of the attacking play was a little disjointed. You know, the, it was just a little bit slow. They weren't really unlocking Everton in any point. Um, they'll play another side. You know, they'll go straight into another game and, you know, they'll, they'll play similar and, you know, they'll get some luck. But, you know, at the end of the day, they were playing against a good side. They were a well-drilled side. They were organised. They came with a game plan. They executed it almost perfectly until the 82nd minute. Um, you know, it's, it's just one of them, I suppose, that it was a tough game. It was probably, other than the Chelsea game, the toughest game left. Um, and they've took three points out of it. So, you know, sometimes I suppose winning like that's almost as good as winning 5-0. You know, it's just the manner of the victory. And, you know, it was just a big kind of plus point, I suppose, that they managed to find a way through. Yeah, that's that's what it kind of felt like to me. Even even though it was just a 1-0, it felt like a bigger win because it, it felt like a tougher test. Yeah, I mean, it, it just didn't feel like a goal was coming. You know, you were you were counting down the minutes. Nothing was really opening up. Nothing was happening. Um, obviously, I think Sam Mewis missed a bit of a sitter in the first half. Yeah, she did. Um, which I, I still can't get over that she missed. No, I can't either. Um, and then in the second half, I think just around midway in the second half, from memory, there was a couple of kind of half chances um, just before Lauren Hemp's audacious overhead kick. Um, I think I don't know if it was Ellen White who was on the pitch who was going to score thinking back um, but yeah I think the way it's a good opportunity I think White struck a, with one on one I think she put the ball wide from memory thinking back um, but yeah other than that it wasn't you know Sandy McKeever didn't have an awful lot to do if anything it wasn't but then at all. Neither <laughs> either. Um, so you know it was very much a battle and you just didn't see a way through and you know it was just a moment of brilliance and if they hadn't have found that, then I'm pretty sure the game would have ended nil-nil. Yeah, I, I think you're probably right there. But it didn't, thank God. 
<laughs> Dave would like to know, what do you think of Taylor's first season so far? Are you impressed with him as we all are as fans? Yeah, I think, I mean, he came with a good grounding. He knows the club inside out. Um, you know, he's, he's worked with the club with so, at so many different levels over so many different years. Um, I think he's a, he's a technical coach. He is a coach, he's not a manager, and I think the women's game is probably more about coaches than managers these days. I think, you you know, every, anybody who talks about the Super League, you know, if you speak to the Americans or, you know, anybody looking in, it's all about, you know, oh, the Super League's such a technical game. You know, it, it's it's tactical, um, you know, and and his, the fact he's come, he's come in almost, you know, with that coaching background, I think makes all the difference for me. Um, you know, he's level-headed, he doesn't, you know, they could win 5-0 one week or, you know, beat top of the table and he's just not kind of phased by it. A week after, they might struggle against Everton, but again, he just sees it as the same kind of game. Um, you know, he, yeah, he's down to earth, he's, you know, he's just cool, calm, collected, um, you know, and I, I think even in the early days when results weren't going the way and, you know, performances were sticking a little bit, I don't think he ever kind of got worried by that. He, he knew what he wanted to do and, you know, he's implemented it and, you know, the, they're on a roll at the minute. Um, you know, I, th I think that he will have a lot of success in the women's game because of the, the type of coach he is. Um, but, I mean, you know, you, you look at all the coaches. I mean, obviously Emma Hayes has done fantastic. Um, if anything, I'd probably class her a little bit more as a manager than a coach. But, you know, you look at Joe Montemuro, obviously he's head coach, he's... He's, he's done well in kind of more of a coaching capacity. Um, Willie Kirk again, um, you know, I, I just feel that kind of that, that coaching mentality as a leader um, is something um, which is kind of much needed in the Super League. Um, you know, just because of the technical and the tactical, tactical na nature, I think it's, um, you know, it's, it's just kind of so important. Yeah. Do you feel like the, the overall quality throughout the clubs of the WSL has, has improved this season? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think so. I think if you look at the bottom of the table, in particular, look at the Bristol City and West Ham situation, you know, Bristol City are kind of proving now that they did have quality in the in the side. It's maybe that it just wasn't quite clicking or, you know, the tactics weren't quite right or, you know, they weren't. I mean, Matt's kind of openly said that they possibly weren't quite at the right level of fitness for the league. You know, it, it feels that, you know, you look at what Brighton have done in recent weeks, beating Chelsea, you know, it would have thought they'd pick that one out of the bag. Spurs have had the moments this season. Obviously, um, you know, you're looking a bit further up. There's competition from Everton, Reading, you know, Man United this year have been up there. Um, there's a lot of strong teams. I don't think there's such thing, or if there is, there's not many weak teams um, everybody on the day can probably do a job and, and frustrate teams. There is a bit of a gulf, I think, between the top two or three. And I think that's in any league, really. Um, but, um, yeah, I think it's a, it is a strong competition. And, you know, I suppose the challenges for the 12 clubs now is that they've only got to get stronger. There's no, no kind of leeway, I think, for, you know, standing still, I suppose. It's a fast-moving, improving league year on year. Are there any um, teams in particular that have exceeded your sort of expectation this season in terms of like positioning and performances? I think Reading were a mixed bag. Um, I think just merely because they lost a lot of experienced players last summer um, and the players who they signed were quality, 
experienced players, but I would say that you know players like Dan Carter and um, who else did they sign? Emma, did they get Emma Mitchell and um, Diana Cooper? Um, they're all players who've had a little bit of a, a bad run with injuries prior to moving to Reading, but I think they've kept those players largely fit. Um, and you know we maybe saw more from Reading than what than what we might have expected. Um, Brighton, they've they've been hot and cold. I think you know I think Hope questioned what she was doing there at times in January. You know after the City defeat um, down there, um, and they've kind of gone back to basics and turned that round. Um, you know to have as many points as they do on the board now was probably a little bit surprising. Um, and then the other way, you know, sides who have maybe underachieved. I mean, West Ham's the big one for me. I just don't see where West Ham United are going to pick out, you know, six, seven points to potentially stay in the league. I'm, I, I really do fear for them the way that they're playing at the minute. Um, but yeah, the, the big improvers for me, I think probably Reading and yeah, I think at times Brighton have done really well. I agree. City have had a, a number of players that have obviously gone on loans uh, this season. Uh, two of those recently, um, as you know, uh, Jill Scott to Everton, Cameron Barsley gone to, to the NWSL and to OR Reign. What are your thoughts on, on players making the decision to, to ensure that they get the guaranteed minutes? You know what? It's I think it's just a sign of the Super League now. I think the Super League is such a huge product. And, you know, when we're talking about squad size, I think... You know, a lot of these clubs now have two or three good players in one position. Um, I mean, I was thinking about the the left-back position for um, City just the other day. I was thinking, obviously, the Stokes, there's Greenwood, um, you know, and then obviously Megan Campbell, who's had horrible luck with injuries. But I'm sure if she was fit and she was impressing, I'm sure she'd be competing in that area as well. Um, you know, you've got three players there who, if fit, you know, just challenging for one position, for example. Um, obviously, you know, some clubs, I mean, Chelsea have, what, three, four different goalkeepers. Um, you know, you can only field one at a time. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, the, the nature of the league now, I think everybody needs to be super fit. Everybody needs to be super competitive. Internally, there's got to be that high level of competition, you know, and, and you just can't give every player the minutes that they need, I think. Some clubs can. I mean, obviously, if you look at clubs like Birmingham and, you know, even the likes of, I suppose, Arsenal and, you know, if those clubs with smaller quality squads, you know, probably getting players playing week in, week out. But if you spoke to those head coaches, they're probably going to say that they're, they're probably like bigger squads, I suppose. Um, but, yeah, I think there's a lot of clubs who now have larger squads. They need them, obviously, City and Chelsea are competing in numerous competitions. Um, but yeah, I think you know it's, it's difficult. You can't offer every player the opportunity to play. Um, it would be nice for them all to stay over, you know, in England and play for other clubs. Um, but you know, in the case of Karen, for example, she's she's gone and took the excellent opportunity what was there, and um, you know, to go overseas. But yeah, it's it's that level of healthy competition. But you know, the the downside of that is that you just can't guarantee players minutes and you know it's a concern particularly if you're either starting your career and you obviously need to make a name for yourself or likewise you know if you know you've only got a couple of years left or less then you know you, you're not going to want to be bench warming I wouldn't have thought. It's it's really difficult to find a happy medium I think though obviously we've seen the likes of like Cameron Barsley especially and and Jill Scott move you know for that for that game time I think something Gareth Taylor has 
really at Salda is managing and rotating the squad and utilizing pretty much everyone in it. Um, you know, it's something that we saw again in, in you know in the Champions League, uh, the second leg tie against Florentina. Yeah, and I think I think well, I suppose the thing is you've got to keep everybody kind of fit and competitive because you never know. You know, if if you do get that week where you've got three games in a week, you might need to use the full squad, so you might need people sharp and and match ready. Um, I think the other the other good thing is obviously the youngsters are getting on the bench this season as well. Some of the academy kids. Um, and it gives them possibly something to aim at, you know, getting a few first team minutes under the belts. Um, potentially, it maybe puts them in the shop window for loan moves next year and try to get a little bit more experience, as we've seen with a lot of the Super League players going out to, you know, championship clubs, certainly since January to get games. Yeah, I think Gareth's done a great job in rotating it. He's kept his first team players fit and sharp. But at the same time, you know, it, it's it's not all about the players on, you know, decent contracts, the seniors, he's tried to incorporate some of the youngsters in there. Obviously, some of that's been forced upon him. Um, but, you know, it, it, I suppose it's nice for a, a young player to have that opportunity to think that they might actually be able to, you know, play on the same pitches, you know, Sam Mewis or Ellen White or step out and, um, you know, it's really good to see. And, and not only doing that, but coming into the squad and not being sort of overwhelmed by the sort of occasion either, you know, that... The application was really professional, you know, especially like you said, by the likes of, you know, the academy players that we've seen come into the squad. Uh, Millie Davis was, you know, involved today and she looked fantastic the, for the for the time that she was on the pitch as well. Yeah, um, and I think it's, it's probably a bigger deal being a, an academy player now than what it was probably 10 years ago. You know, the, the stars that you've got, you know, they're now household names. You know, anybody who follows the league, the, the amount of coverage it does get, although it could get more, um, you know, people know who these players are now. You know, you can, you know, I'm, I'm sure that a lot of the, the men's fans um, who follow City can probably name a fair few of the women's players. And obviously, you know, the, the plastered on the side of the Etihad Stadium and, you know, the, the celebrities in themselves now. So, yeah, I think I think it takes real kind of guts and bravery to be able to step up as an, as an academy player. And you know, mix it with players who have so much experience, both domestically and internationally. Um, but you know, it's, it, I suppose it's, a, it's an absolutely fantastic experience for the youngsters. And you know, I, I suppose it's. I think the FA has just launched a, a you know a new incentive today about you know kind of a dual career pathway that you know players can can play in academies or regional talent centres, and you know, alongside that, they can kind of study and you know go with a kind of a, a second kind of branch towards working as well and kind of you know balancing the, the studies and the work with with playing you know encouraging players to get into the game but you know I, I just think you know what what an opportunity to get into a city side but it proves that anything's possible you know if you're a 10 year old girl or whatever and you know you're, you're thinking about dreaming about playing for city or playing in the super league or even playing in the championship or the national league um, you know, it, it just gives everybody hope that what you're seeing is possible. We just touched upon the Champions League. Obviously, City played today uh, the second leg tie against Florentina. They won 5-0. They won the, the tie across two legs, 8-0 on aggregate, which is fantastic. Uh, so they progressed to the quarterfinals, which is something the City haven't done for a couple of seasons. So that's fantastic in itself. Um, obviously, the draw will take place tomorrow. Uh, and we can draw anyone now in the last 
at the last eight, which is going to be interesting. Obviously, Wastengard probably the most favourable yeah, side in there. That, that, that's, I mean, if you look at the clubs, you know, there's eight teams in there. If you take City out, obviously seven potential opponents. There's only Rosengard, which really stand yeah, out. So yeah, that would be that's the plum draw. It's, it, it'll be a tough quarterfinal tie, but it's certainly a winnable one. Um, City's record in the quarters is obviously good. They've won two out of two. Um, but saying that, the two opponents they've had are probably going to be weaker than who they're likely to pull out tomorrow. Um, you know, I think they got first year, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it was Fortuna Horring. Um, and then they had uh, link upping as well the following year. Um, yeah, whoever they get tomorrow, realistically, unless it's Rosengard, is going to be a much stronger opponent. Um, who would you want after that? Bayern, maybe. You know, they're not the strongest side in Germany. They're arguably weaker than Wolfsburg. Leon, you obviously wouldn't want a quarterfinal stage, although somebody's going to have to play them at some point. Um, Barca will be tough. Um, obviously, you don't want Chelsea really neither, not in the quarters. Um, yeah, I think whoever comes out, you just got to pray for Rosengard. I'm sure Chelsea fans are doing the same. Um, and you don't want each other to eliminate one going into the semis. Although it would guarantee somebody's in the semis, of course. But yeah, you don't you don't want an all all English quarter final if we can avoid it. Either way, I think it's fair to say that the route to the final is not going to be an easy one. <laughs> it's definitely going to be a challenge, and you've got to play it obviously round by round. But we're just pleased that we're able to progress at this stage. I think you know we've shown you know that we've got the quality of the players you know we've got the belief that we can go on and do it I think that's sort of resonating throughout the team throughout the players as well I think that it's a real strong ambition of the club to have success in Europe yeah I think the squad's looking good I think the um, obviously the, the the experience from winning the competition combined with the international experience is really positive um, I think Arguably, you could possibly even say that, you know, the, the hardest tie for City so far was possibly the Gothenburg tie. Obviously, I think they were champions of Sweden, whereas, you know, I think Fiorentina were possibly runners-up. I know this year they're not having a great season. I think they're about mid-table this year. Um, so they're really, really off the boil, I would say. Um, and it's no surprise that City's got through that tie. Um, but yeah, I think the, the squad's looking good, as you say. Gareth's rotating the squad, everybody's competitive, everybody's fit. Um, so you know, there's there's every chance that you know, providing they pull the right tie, they could get through to the semi finals and maybe even the final. Obviously, COVID might add a little bit of a interesting twist this year, as we saw with Chelsea. I think obviously, their, their away tie in Spain couldn't be played, it was, it was played on neutral territory, so that might be an option depending on who City draw. You know, if it's Barcelona, will it be played in Spain? I don't know. Um, so, you know, that might be an added advantage as well. But, yeah, I think you get the feeling that any team could potentially get to the semis and, you know, if, if you've got a little bit of luck in the draw, there's no reason why we can't have an English club in the final. Like you said, the quality that is left in the tournament, Whoever it's going to be, I think it's going to be a tough test. We'll see who we get tomorrow, which unfortunately, we'll, by the time the podcast comes out, we'll already yeah, we'll know, see. so that's a bit annoying. But, yeah. yeah. But earlier in the week, we uh, we finally learned, after so much speculation, that Hegarisa was named as Team GB coach for the Tokyo Olympics after 
like I said, so much speculation following the departure of Phil Neville. Uh, what are your thoughts on the appointment, Dan? He's come in. Um, I've been I've, I've been fortunate to be involved in you know some of the press conferences and stuff. Um, she's different to Phil Neville. Very different. She's quite kind of kind of quiet and you know just head down and do the job. Obviously, she's got bags and bags of experience as a player. I think she's the most capped Norwegian international player in history. Something like 188 caps. Um, she's played in Olympics. She's won Olympics. She's won World Cups. She's won Euros. I think I read she was one of only three players to have won the three. Um, you know, she's she's very kind of just head down and, you know, she, she knows what she wants. She seems to have a good relationship with the players. Um, you know, she'll be a very different character for the players to get on with as, as they had Phil. Um, I think Phil's possibly a lot more kind of personal with the players, whereas I think... Hegger's maybe a little bit more clued into the systems and, you know, that kind of training ground work, um, you know. Um, and I think she's obviously looking to work with a small squad, bearing in mind that I think there's only 18 players for the Olympics. I think yeah. <laughs> Sue Campbell was saying yesterday that I think they could potentially have kind of four players on standby as well. Um, but they're not going to, you know, they're going to announce the squad and that's it after that. There's not going to be kind of a, you know, a 26 and then they'll narrow it down to 18 or whatever. It's just going to be 18 players plus someone standby, I think, obviously from a larger pool as well for the Team GB. Uh, but yeah, I was impressed with, you know, her, her start with England. I thought, you know, it, it sounds as though the camp went well. Um, you know, she she's got a good a good kind of backroom team there helping her out. Um, you know, that the players seem to have enjoyed playing on the pitch and training with her. Um, obviously, we got a good result against Northern Ireland as well. 6-0, we kind of met kind of expectancy and maybe a little bit more in that game. Um, you know, there's a fresh feel with the debutants as well. Um, so, you know, it, it, I, I haven't heard anything negative about the camp or, you know, any kind of criticisms about the things which she's bringing in. The players seem to have thoroughly enjoyed being part of the England squad for you know that couple of weeks in February, yeah. um, and then obviously she's been appointed as Team GB head coach, um, and I think they've they've largely gone for that down to her Olympic experience. I think um, I think they were the FA have kind of looked at the fact that an Olympics is very very different to a World Cup. You know, looking at the the fact that there's lots of different sports ongoing at the same time. There's like the Olympic Village kind of. Um, environment they've got to deal with and just that fact that I think Heggers won gold as a player and a coach at the Olympics um, and that's just been a huge tick in the box they just think you know she'll kind of hit the ground running and she'll know what to expect and you know she'll prepare the players for obviously what, what's ahead in Tokyo. Like you said 18, 18 players I mean, that's a bit of a headache a bit of a dilemma in terms of squad selection considering the wealth of, of talent, you know, that's available to her. Yeah, it's funny, you know, full-time team have had a little bit of a brainstorm and we've kind of been saying, you know, Scotland, Northern Ireland, Wales, who would you take? Or who would you consider if you, you know, even if, you know, kind, even if Hegger's hands kind of forced a little bit and said, you know, we know England's going to dominate the squad, but, mm. you know, just, you know, four players, two from Wales, two from Scotland, yeah. who would you pick? It would, it um, would be good to, to get, um, you know, strong representation because I think there are players deserving of it. I would like to hope that it 
it's hard because you kind of feel as though based on obviously this this camp and and the conversations that are coming out is that it looks as though it might be lioness strong but you know i i think you can't there are so many players that you can't overlook yeah i mean we looked obviously carolyn we has been superb the city she's got she can get a goal out of nothing um you know the performance is week on week consistent um you know she's been playing champions league obviously scored today um you know she she's done very well on a consistent basis we were kind of looking Hayley Ladd at Man United obviously from a Welsh perspective is very consistent um obviously a little bit more defensive than Carolyn is but um yeah she's another player who you could possibly put in the bracket of you know non-English players Jess Fishlock's had a good season with Reading as well you know she's a Again, another player. And I mean, how much experience has she got as well to bring into an Olympic squad? Yeah. Um, you know, so I think, yeah, it is going to be dominated by English players. We know that. Um, you know, obviously, Erin Cuthbert as well is another one with Scotland. You know, all of her achievements yeah. with Chelsea. Um, again, you know, she's a Champions League player. Um, you know, you can't kind of overlook these people and just cross them out. Um, my understanding, if I heard right, was that the FA are looking at around about 35 players split across, you know, the, the four nations, um, you know, so hopefully, yeah, we, we know it's going to be largely English, but it'd be good to make sure that, you know, there is some interest, you know, from the other nations. Um, we need to stick some versatility in there as well, don't we? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think, yeah, that, I mean, that, again, that was another point which was discussed in the press conference yesterday with Heger and um, Baroness Campbell. I think they were kind of saying that, you know, 18 players, you're going to have to have players who, you know, can, you know, like a George Stanway is a perfect fit. Straight away, she's got to be first name on the team sheet because she can play in, you know, just about 11 positions. Sure, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't I'm know sure what she's like in net, like, but yeah, it's that kind of player you're looking at, I suppose, that. I mean, again, you've got to look if you're over there. We don't know what the COVID situation is going to be like. If you get an outbreak or if you've got players, you know, struggling with symptoms and they can't play, um, you know, you might have to call on somebody to play in a, an unfamiliar position. So, you know, this is probably going to be an Olympics like Norther. Um, so, yeah, versatility, absolutely huge tick in the box if you're a player who can play, you know, a few positions without a doubt. And then finally, County Cup this weekend, the final. I, I forgot about it. I think I've probably erased it from my memory purely out of uh, disappointment from not progressing. But, but uh, yeah, Chelsea and uh, the unlikely finalists of Bristol City. I mean, we're all Bristol this weekend, right? Yeah, I think that's it. <laughs> we, we just don't want that 5-0 final or that final which is over with by the 20th minute. Um, we just want Bristol to play like they've played in the last few games. Um, it feels like Bristol have made huge kind of strides in the last few weeks, you know, in them games which have known they've had to get points from. Um, you know, West Ham away was a huge performance. The other night was one of the games of the season. Um, you know, the Brighton game, to go and beat them 3-0 at home was absolutely wonderful. The next step for Bristol City is, for me, Probably Sunday, but not in terms of maybe winning the game, but being able to compete with the side in the top six. You know, they might lose the game two or three nil, but you know, coming off the field knowing that they've 
you know, for large parts to have competed with that team. Obviously, they've had some right batterings off. You know, obviously, we know the circumstance against City wasn't great early in the season, um, you know, with the COVID then. Um, they got a battering off Chelsea. I think they played quite well at Arsenal from memory. Um, but yeah, the next step, I suppose, is kind of stepping up and saying, well, you know what, we've 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 got points against the teams who we've, we've, we should have got points against, we've targeted points against. Um, what can we do? You know, what credit can we give ourselves when we're playing against world-class players like Chelsea on Sunday? Um, it, it's going to be extremely tough. Um, I was speaking with Matt earlier today and yeah, he's, um, he knows they're underdogs. He knows, you know, nobody thinks they're going to win that game. Um, but, you know, they're going to go out there, they're going to enjoy it, give it the best shot. Um, and, you know, you don't know with Chelsea. I think, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this yet, by the time the podcast goes out, I probably can. Um, Beth England's out on Sunday, which is a loss for Chelsea. But other than that, I think they've got a fully fit squad. Um, obviously, it's just a question of... Um, you know, the, the, the travelling, I suppose, with the Champions League, where there's going to be any tiredness. They're probably a little bit leggy yesterday, if anything. Um, so, yeah, that might that might be a little bit of a leveller. But, yeah, I suppose we're all scraping around thinking how are Bristol going to kind of stop Chelsea's flow and stop them from running away with a game early on. It's going to be a real kind of David versus Goliath battle, I, I think. I was going to say David uh, versus Goliath. Yeah. It's written all over it, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, absolutely. But... They deserve it because, you know, they, they did pretty well in what was quite a tricky group. I mean, I know I think they played largely championship opposition, if not all. Um, but they came out of that group as winners, which was a bit of an achievement in itself because they weren't playing well in the league at the time. Um, and then in the semis, I mean, we know that Leicester, you know, I'm sure Durham will have something to say on it, but Leicester have got, you know, a... a, a a Super League squad in the making, I would say, and obviously they, they held the nerve to beat them in the last round. So, you know, they're worthy of the place in the final. They've just got to give it their all and hopefully nobody makes a mistake on the day, which which costs them. I think heading into this game, though, off of the back of that fantastic win against Reading, like there's so many positives that they can, you know, carry forward into this game. It's really kind of set them up nicely for it, really. Yeah, this is it. They've been, it's just like almost been building blocks, hasn't it, for the last month or so since Matt came in. Um, I mean, interesting comments. Obviously, I don't want to knock Tanya. Tanya's gone in there with and done whatever she's done previously with the team. Matt's put a different spin on it, I think. I mean, I remember him saying about using the early days almost like a pre season to get players fit, which is a little bit of a bizarre comment in itself, but. You know, it's potentially a different kind of playing style and a different demand, which Matt, which Matt's had asked from them, and it's worked. It's you know, they do they do seem fitter, sharper. Um, you know, that they're more at it than what they were at the start of the season. Um, obviously, Tanya's, you know, you can't criticise her in any way. She's she's done what she's she's done for her team, and she's wanted her team to play how she wanted them to play, but. Um, you know, yeah, fantastic for Matt. He's gone in and, you know, what a way to turn it around after, you know, the circumstances he left West Ham. Prediction? Uh, do we want to do a prediction now? Because I, I don't want it to be like a 4-0 yeah, no Chelsea. Yeah. I've, got, I've got a horrible feeling that Chelsea will do it to Bristol City. Maybe not quite what they did to West Ham in the last round, but I've got a feeling that they'll win and they might win quite well. I hope they don't, but you know, I've, I've got visions of a three or a four nil 
possibly five. But I suppose this is it. I suppose this is what people are expecting, but it's down to Bristol City to hopefully put a bit of damage limitation on it. And, you know, I mean, you know, we can look at that Everton City game again on Sunday. Obviously, they're completely different in terms of quality, but the way that Everton came with their game plan and executed it, it's exactly what Bristol City are going to have to do in their own way and um, keep Sam Kerr and Penilla Harder and, you know... That's it. To, to, to isolate them out of the game, don't they? To nullify their sort of attacking threat. And it'll be a long game, <laughs> 90 minutes playing like that. But if they can sort of get behind the, the will and what the occasion of what they're there for, try and give it their all. Like you said, I think that's all they can do. And if they go out and give a good account of themselves, I think that's that would be an achievement in itself. For yeah, them. I mean, I was, I was looking at the squad and I was kind of thinking, you know, what, what experience have we got? Is there any winners in the Bristol City side? You know, anybody who's won a couple of titles or the odd cup or, you know, there isn't an awful lot. Even if you look at, you know, players, you know, international players who represent Wales or, you know, whatever, they're not necessarily household names in the Welsh side. And, you know, they haven't always got that big game experience other than obviously when they play in the league against Chelsea, City, Arsenal, Man United. Um, and they've had a few thumpings along the way. Um, so, yeah, it's a tough one. Obviously, Ebony Salmon, it's probably her stage to shine a little bit if she can, if she gets the chance, given what's happened with England and you know, proving people wrong after she left Man United a couple of years back. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a funny old game. It, I, I hope that it's not a predictable game, that it's something that we weren't expecting and, you know, Bristol delivers something special, even if they do lose the game. So, Dan, do you just want to tell us about the latest issue of the FAWSL full-time magazine? Yeah, we're, print, we're printing at the minute, actually. <laughs> I've just signed it off to Have print. You? <laughs> hey, that's so, <laughs> Yeah, it's quite, yeah. So yeah, digital copies are available now. Just we just ask for a two pound donation for that, and we'll send you a copy, um, or four pound for the the paper copy, which will be with us next week. Um, you can either get in touch with us on Twitter, or you know our PayPal account is just our email address: fawsl full time at gmail dot com. Um, but yeah, just drop us a tweet or whatever on you know on Twitter, and we'll we'll sort you out. Sweet, Dan. Thank you so much for joining me. It's always great to catch up. We definitely yeah. won't leave it as long, as long next time. We always say yeah. we're going to do it and then we never end up doing it because <laughs> we absolutely. all get busy. I know, absolutely. But no, brilliant to speak to you, Emma. Thanks very yeah, much. Yeah, you too, Dan. Thank you so much and um, we'll catch up soon. Yeah, cheers. Thanks. Bye. And that's it for this week's episode. Hope you've enjoyed it. Thanks to Dan from FAWSL Full-Time Magazine for joining me. No football for City this weekend, but our next fixture is in the WSL against Bristol City on Wednesday the 17th of March. The game will be available to watch live via the FA Player. Kickoff is 7.30pm. And just before we do go, we just want to let you know that we're currently running a competition on our Instagram account with thanks to Wade Visual. You can win an A3 digital print of original artwork created by Wade of a Manchester City women player of your choice. 
Wade is an incredibly talented artist and if you haven't already we recommend you take some time to check out her work. To be in with the chance of winning you simply need to head over to our Instagram account at mcwfancast. Make sure you're following us and at Wade Visual. Like the competition post, share and tag with three of your friends and that's it. Competition will close on Wednesday the 31st of March at 6pm and the winner will be announced shortly after. We'll be back next Friday. Have a great week and stay safe.